I'll tell you something I love about being in France, in addition to some seriously delicious butter, and that is the wide selection of wines I can find in France for low prices. It can be much more difficult to source those same bottles back in the States, and that's why I love to buy wines out of France with Ideal Wine. I have bottles shipped to me, hassle-free. It's easy. Ideal Wine has a new auction every week and is a great source for iconic names like Ouette, Louis Roeder, and Domaine Lefleve, as well as rising stars like Arnaud Lachaud, Gonon, and Tissot. Find the wines you'd rather be drinking at idealwine.com. That's I-D-E-A-L-W-I-N-E.com and have the wine shipped to you in the States. Use the promo code FIRST, F-I-R-S-T, for $15 off your first order of $150 or more. Hey, that's $15 you could save, and that is some good butter money. See for yourself at Ideal Wine. I'll drink to that, where we get behind the scenes of the beverage business. I'm Levy Dalton. I'm Erin Scala. And here's our show today. An age-old way to get grape juice for fermenting is to foot-tread grapes. Near the Fertile Crescent and the motherland of vinifera grapes, one of the earliest treading troughs was a hollowed-out tree trunk. This technology spread through the winemaking world, and soon different regions were coming up with their own ways to tread grapes and collect the juice. By the time wine growing got to ancient Egypt, grape treading was somewhat of an art form. Paintings in the tomb of Nacht depict some early Egyptians treading grapes in a vat and the juice coming out of a spout at the bottom. The treaders are holding on to handles suspended over the vat to keep them from falling. But Nacht was no pharaoh. He was married to a musician wife, and he himself was a non-royal scribe who studied the stars in order to help pick the dates for special festivals. His tomb depicts many quotidian events, plowing, harvesting, and winemaking and he most likely helped to pick the dates for harvest festivals. Many regions used wood containers in which to tread, similar to large barrels. Some regions adopted shallow troughs. In fact, shallow treading troughs made of stones held together with mortar were used in Jerusalem and can still be seen there today. Even now, shallow troughs are commonplace in Portugal, where you'll find ligares in the Douro. These shallow vats are often made of cement, and nowadays you see stainless steel ones too. And they are meant to keep the liquid around knee length. The wide, large vats also spread out the cap more so that more juice is in contact with the skins and you get a richer extraction, which is especially great for those powerful vintage ports. Because grape treading was such a time-sensitive activity that needed to be carried out just after the harvest, extra labor was needed, which in most rural areas meant that the entire community gathered for this event. Harvest festivals, dances, and music associated with grape treading emerged in many cultures and regions. Music and dance certainly made the stomping less monotonous. Mechanical presses, like the basket press, became more popular in ancient Rome, with giant screws bearing wood slabs down on the grapes, where the juice was able to flow out of slatted sides. For many centuries, basket presses and foot treading occurred simultaneously. So much so that the methods were often curiously blended, 
in medieval manuscript imagery. Today, we have all sorts of presses, bladder presses, high-tech basket presses, crushers and destemmers, and even crushers that are made to mimic and simulate foot stomping. But despite the boons of technology, in just about every region, you'll find several producers who still choose to foot tread their grapes. Many talk about an unparalleled quality of tannins and phenolic matter that the gentle foot crushing is able to achieve. Others mention the introduction of microorganisms that can help start and sustain the fermentation. For some wineries, it's about sustaining the culture of the crush with dances and songs. And for others, it's a way to connect with the very beginnings of winemaking. Stay tuned to hear what's afoot at one winery that uses foot treading to crush grapes. I'm sorry, that was a callous pun. Let's try again. These wines are solely important. No, no, that's not quite right either. What pairs well with Barolo? Piggies. What drum group would be great at winemaking? Stomp. It's not enough to make great wine. You also have to reach the consumer that appreciates that wine. And that's where Offset is an incredible asset. Offset is an independent brand design and commerce technology company that connects with wineries on a human level to help them connect with consumers on a human level. Offset is based in wine country and staffed by creative strategists and technologists who are superb at helping create and evolve wine brands through visual identity and package design, developing the look, feel, and tone of your web content as well as building beautiful and effective websites powered by their proprietary e-commerce platform, Offset Commerce. That's why leaders like Frog Sleep, Grace Family Vineyards, and Rain Winery already rely on Offset. Reach out to the brilliant team at Offset at offsetpartners.com. That's O-F-F-S-E-T, partners with an S, dot com. Offset is focused on the wine industry and can embrace the nuanced needs of your wine brand. Fabio Alessandria of the GB Berlotto Winery back on the show. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you, Levy. I'm very fine. Very nice to have you here. Thank you to invite me. Your estate is located in Verduno in the Barolo zone. Yeah, right. Verduno is, a, is one of the first villages included in the Barolo zone, and we can say it's the, the northern village of Barolo area. So it's a little bit further north than any of the other zones in Barolo. Yeah, exactly. It's more in the north, very close to the River Tanner. And how does that affect the growing conditions in the region? Uh, the River Tanner influences a lot. The, the, I think that it influences a lot the, the uh, microclimate of Verduno. Because uh, especially Montvillier, no, you know, Montvillier is the northern vineyard of Verduno, the northern vineyard of Barolo area. And... Uh, as the best vineyard uh, in Barolo area, uh, it's south face, uh, it's the, the soil is very white, the altitude is uh, around 300 meters. So during the summer, it could be warm, no? Uh, but uh, the, 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 the river tunnel, it makes uh, like a breeze, it makes like a fresh current that it brings down the temperature during the, during the summer night, no? This is very important for me because... Uh, 
Verdun in general, but Montvillier, especially in Montvillier, we have uh, a lot of uh, big excursion thermic between night and day. And this is important for, uh, for the characteristic of the wine. And I think we can note that we can feel that in the, in the Barolo made in Montvillier because uh, the, the wine uh, made in Montvillier shows always uh, the, the, the perfect maturity of the tannin. No? They show always the, the silky tannin, the very gentle tannin. That because the, the, the grape ripe very well in Monvillero. But in the other hand, uh, we have all, always in the wine a kind of freshness, no? Like uh, the wine are a little bit lighter than, uh, lighter and more aerian, we can say, than, uh, than uh, Barolo made in some other area, no? And uh, I think that uh, this is due for the soil, but also for the uh, special microclimate in Verduno, but especially in Monvillero. So Monvigliero is a vineyard that once you get past it, you're no longer in Barolo. Monvigliero is one of the historical ill of the Barolo area. My great-great-grandfather was uh, one of the pioneers. We can say one of the father, one of the pioneers of the Barolo. And uh, he already understood the, the, the importance of the vineyard in the wine quality. You know, he, he was very, very, very focused in the quality. Now you can see the, the all the medals, all the prizes that you won in the, the end of 1800, beginning of 1900 for the quality of the wine. He was obsessed by the quality. And uh, this this was the reason, I think, because he already, at that time, he started to buy vineyard in the best uh, best deal, like Montvillier or like Anubi, you know, because he uh, believed a lot in the quality in the quality of the grape and also at the time if at the time it was normal for a seller to buy grape as he did uh, because he, he bought grape but he would like to he, he wanted to be sure that he had the possibility to have to have every year grape from Monvillero and Canubi. so that was gb berlotto See, exactly and he was one of the first people to bottle Barolo. Yeah, the legends say that the the legends say the first one. I don't know exactly if it if he was the first one, but Barolo was born in the middle of eighteen hundred, and he worked in that period. He was one of the most important producer at the time. He produced the wine for the royal family, and uh, he won a lot of medals. Uh, no, that. At the time, the 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 exhibition, uh, the, the, they were very very important, not to to build the, the, the status of the, the seller. And you're located in Verduno, and how many wineries are in Verduno today? Uh, today, lot. Uh, we can say five, six, or seven. Let me let me. I don't remember. Always, uh, yeah, I remember. All because we are all friends, but exactly number I have to I have to say uh, Fratelli Alessandria, Castello di Verduno, uh, Belcolle, Poderi Rosette, Diego Morra, Corona Teresina, Cascina Massara, Burlotto Giancarlo, and I hope I don't forget anyone. <laughs> so less than twelve. Less than twelve, yeah, less than twelve. Uh, there are 12 labels of Pelaverga. Pelaverga is another grape uh, historically cultivated in, in Verduno. There are 12 labels of Pelaverga, but some producers make uh, Pelaverga, but are not in Verduno. Just uh, vinified grape uh, cultivated uh, 
in Verduno or La Mora or Rodi. And the town of Verduno is, is about, what, a few hundred people? 500. 500 people live in Verduno, yeah. Several of the other wineries are related by blood somehow to your own family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For example, my surname is Alessandria because my father was one of the three brothers Alessandria. And when he got married with my mother, Marina Burlotto, he decided to left the, the family business and uh, start a new life, uh, work life with my, my mother. So they, he was part of the Fratelli Alessandria yeah, winery? Yeah, yeah exactly, he, exactly. And then your mother's related to the Castello di Verduno. Exactly, because uh, uh, the father of my mother, my grandfather, and the father of Lisetta, Gabriella, Lili, they were brothers. No, uh, they, they were. Um, G.B. Burlotto had just one son, Francesco, and uh, three nephews. And uh, they, they split the, the property. And uh, my, my grandfather has, was the unique one, the unique of the free barrier who loved to work in wine, who loved the vineyard, who loved the, the, the work in the cellar. So his father decided to leave the name G.B. Burlotto, the cellar G.B. Burlotto, and the best vineyard, Armand Villero and Canubi, to my grandfather Ignazio. Uh, the other brother heritated the Castello di Verduno, and uh, the third brother heritated uh, another farm, uh, Cascina Massana. And what are the major vineyards of the Verduno area? The major vineyard, uh, we can say the Montvillero for sure is the more uh, prestigious, the more well-known vineyard. Uh, but anyway, the, the surface uh, uh, planted uh, with Nebbiolo grape in Verduno is not so big. And uh, Montvillero is the vineyard very well-known. But we can say that uh, Verduno is so small that we have quality in uh, all the, the vineyard planted with Nebbiolo. With different soil, different exposition, because, for example, Montvillero is extremely north, while Rocchiolme and Neirane, they are, for example, the extremely south, border to, border to Namora. And so from this vineyard, it changed a lot, because it changed a little bit the soil, it changed the altitude, it changed the exposition. And also, the characteristics of the wine, for sure, are different. And, for example, in the latest year, we are appreciating more and more the vineyard with a microclimate a little bit more fresh, you know, like Rocco Olmo or like Boscato, you know, south face, 350 meters, a soil with a little bit more clay that it kept better the water. You know. So in, in a vintage like 2007, 2009, 2011, we are seeing, we are appreciating more and more the quality of wine made in this, this slope, this place. You feel that there's climate change going on? It's changing. A little bit is changing, for sure. Uh, I think that it's changing slowly, slowly. I think that this changement, till today, it's positive for the Barolo R, I think, because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm quite young. I'm only 41 years old, but... Uh, I talk with my parents sometimes about the vintages in the 70s and the 80s when I was young. And uh, they were, it was a period more difficult for the weather, for sure. Because uh, now we can say that we, we especially in the latest uh, 20 years, we can say we have only good vintages. No, 
someone can prefer the vintage more warm because the, the wine usually it's more open, more approachable, more fluidy, more easy drinking. Some other people can prefer the vintage a little bit more fresh, no? because the wine is it's a little bit more classic, more serious. Yeah? But anyway, we, we are speaking about great vintage, good vintages. Um, 20 years ago, every 10 years, uh, they had two, three good vintages. Now we are a little bit more, uh, uh, more uh, selective, no? And uh, every year we say, okay, it was good, but 10 years ago when it was good, it was good, stop. And they were happy. So in a way, you're in a more northern area. So if it gets a little warmer where you are, that might actually be a little helpful in a bit. Yeah, yeah. I think this is one of the reasons because the wine of Verduno, they are more and more noted, no? more and more appreciated. This can be a reason. The other reason is because the wine made in Verduno, they have... A, uh, they are more elegant, no, and so the people more and more is uh, understanding the the elegance in the wine, the elegance in the Barolo. No, uh, uh, some years ago the people believed that the Barolo have to be very concentrated, tannic, uh, and heavy. A Barolo could be tannic and heavy, but some Barolo can be also elegant uh, uh, and more gentle no more grace with more grace so you make nebbiolo in canubi and then you also make nebbiolo in monvigliero and then other verduno vineyards see so canubi is in the barolo zone yeah and how do you find the nebbiolo that you make in canubi to be different from the verduno nebbiolo it is different it is different barolo made in canubi is still have a kind of uh, elegance no but uh, in the end, uh, the texture of the wine, it's a little bit different. Uh, the finish of the palate, it's a little bit more austere. No? Uh, we have more pressure in tanning, no? and the wine could be a little bit bigger in the taste. And many people think that, um, what is strange is that uh, in Canubi we have more sand. And usually, uh, where we where there is more sand, the wine is more elegant. But uh, Canubi is something strange. No, in Canubi we are more sand than in uh, Montbier. But the wine have a little bit more power, uh, a little bit more tannic pressure than in Montbier. And those are two vineyards that, when you harvest the Nebbiolo, you handle them differently. See, um, we ferment, uh, so um, a part of Mon the, the part of Montvillier that we utilize for the Aclivi is fermented as we uh, ferment uh, Canubi. But the part of the grape that we utilize for the Barolo single vineyard Montvillero, they are vinified in totally different way than Canubi. Uh, for Montvillero, we don't destem, destem the grape. So we do a all cluster fermentation. We just put the grape in uh, open wet tanks of oak, where we ferment all our red wines. We just go inside, we crush the grape by the feet because we don't want to cut the, the stems. We don't want to, to have pressure with the stem. And after we do a very, uh, we do a skin contact very, very long for around two months. For Canubi, we work in a different way. We work more in a classic way. So we distem the grape uh, 
and we do a skin contact, uh, shorter skin contact around two, three weeks, independent of the vintage, with some pumping over and some pouching down. So what do you think whole cluster brings to a wine? You know, we do the old cluster fermentation for Montvillero because we think that exalt the characteristic of Montvillero. Uh, we think that all cluster fermentation in Montvillero it gives the wine an extra dimension in the deepness, in the uh, complexity of the texture, and it, it acts out the brightness, the freshness that is typical of Montvillero. So it's a way that where we can obtain the same in the same moment a little bit, we where we can exhale the freshness, the brightness of the Montvillero, but we can have uh, a little bit more deepness, uh, a little bit more uh, a texture, more long uh, and more. Uh, another quality of tanning in amount. And what about treading the grapes by foot? Does that give a different kind of extraction? Yeah, we we treat the grape by the by foot because uh, uh, we don't want to crush the stem. We don't want to cut the stem because the stem is it's another source of tanning. Uh, it's uh, the, the stems can um, can give us a very high quality of tanning that helps uh, the wine to to age well. But on the other hand, so we have to be, we have to pay attention. Don't cut the stem uh, because we want to avoid the extraction of uh, green aroma and green tanning in, in, uh, in the moment here. So this is the reason also because we do submerge a cap uh, with a very very gentle vinification. It's more an infusion than an extraction. And Montvigliero often has a, a wild strawberry or raspberry note as you pointed out to me once yeah that's true where does that do you think come from uh, from the vineyard from the vineyard also if you vinify uh, Montvillero in a more classic way as when we vinify Montvillero for the Aclivi we always have this strawberry uh, what we see what we are seeing that with the all classic fermentation we maintain a strawberry aroma for longer time while when we, when we ferment Montvillero in the uh, normal way, we can say, in the, the same in the grape, we have uh, this strawberry in the beginning and sometimes we lose during the, the aging in the barrel. And when did you begin the whole cluster on the Montvigliero? In what year? I didn't introduce anything so in, in the cellar for Montvigliero, so it's not, uh, uh, it's not uh, my invention is not my my grandfather made all the baron that way so it's a, a tradition of the family you know? and today we conserve this vinification form of year because we we think that exalt the characteristic of the vineyard but uh, my grandfather in Yazzo produced all the baron in that way and what about the press that you use how do you go about pressing the wine we utilize a very simple and small pneumatic press. Very small because we love to move the press very close to the tanks after fermentation. No, because we love to to put directly the grape into the press without um, use the pump. No, because uh, uh, if you utilize the pump with the skin, the fermented skin, you can uh, you can really have uh, green tanning. Uh, Vegetal tanning, tanning that it doesn't ripe, never. No? And so sometimes 
you can't you can't working with pomp you can't utilize the wine from the press no while putting the, the, the skin by hands into the press we can utilize the the the, the, the first wine who come out uh, with lower pressure no because the the, the, the first uh, pressed wine is very very rich in perfume and uh, uh, quite quite rich also in tannin no it, it, it give the wine a little bit more structure and uh, they they it's very important for the aroma of the wine no it's very rich in precursor of the aroma so i think it's it's good to preserve this this quality wine yeah so in the red wines you utilize a bit of the pressed wine yeah uh, just the first wine who come out from the press, the the the, um, the wine uh, who, who come out with high pressure. No, we don't utilize for the blend. But just the first wine, no, at lower pressure, I think it uh, gives the wine something. And you don't pump it. No, we don't pump the skin, the fermented skin. This is very important. No, we go directly in the barrel. In the we go directly in the open fat tanks, and we put directly the grape into the press. How does it go with the mallow? The mallow, yeah. So if we speak about the the, the young the, the, the young wine, no, uh, like Pelaverga, like Barbera, like Dolcetto, usually we do the mallow in steel tanks immediately after the alcoholic fermentation because we think that in this moment we preserve more the freshness, no? The wine a little bit more pure, more fresh, more fruity. And also, uh, we bottle the wine a little bit earlier, so if also the mallow, it's a little bit earlier, is better for the natural stability of the wine. Uh, concerning the Barolo, um, after the alcoholic fermentation, we go directly in oak, in the big, big cask of oak, so the mallow happen when it happens. So, so you don't induce it? No. Uh, we don't warm the cellar. So sometimes it happens after the alcoholic fermentation. Sometimes it, it happens during the winter, sometimes in spring, sometimes in summer. And, you know, we note that uh, the origin of the grape is really important for the mallow. You, know? uh, you note that some vineyard do the mallow a little bit earlier than some other vineyard. Putting the wine in the same condition. No? Do you find a different character to wines that take longer to go through mallow? See, si, I think so. I think so. It seems that we have a little bit better stability of the wine. It seems that the wine, it, it brings a little bit more structure. We probably we have a little bit more stability in the color. And also, I don't want to warm the wine. So I love that the mallow, it happens at lower temperature. And slowly, 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 this is important uh, because of the variation in... During the mallow, we have also a variation of the pH. So, so if this variation, it happens slowly, slowly. I think that the wine, slowly, slowly, it's more uh, stable, no? A lot of times when I see Berlotto from an earlier era you know the 60s i don't see single vineyard crews on there when do you think that it started to happen that but nobody in the 60s i think in the 50 for sure in the 60 uh really few uh start to produce single vineyard the tradition 
of the Barolo is a tradition of the blend. All the winemakers believe more in the blend than in a single vineyard. Everybody at that time, in the 50s, in the 60s, every seller produced just one Barolo, and a really good vintage, the Barolo Reserva. Stop. And, uh, and the Barolo and the Barolo Reserva, both they were made always with a blend from different vineyard, and sometimes from different village. And when do you think that the Barlotto started to do single crews? In 82. In, in 82 vintage, my parents uh, start to produce Montvillard and Canopy, single vineyard. What was the history of your parents working with the estate? It was a period not so easy because my grandfather was I had very young. His latest vintage was um, 68. And he died when, when my, my mother was uh, 17, 18. And my mother was the unique daughter. And so it was not easy for my mother and for, uh, for her mother to continue the work in the cellar. Fortunately, they, they had uh, really nice people, really nice guys who helped my, my grandfather, who, who, and they, everybody, they all together try to manage the cellar, not try to go on. And uh, later, in the 71, my mother got married with my father. And so, slowly, slowly, they, they, they rebuild, no? A little bit. Not they rebuild, because the, the production always, uh, they, it, we, they never stopped, no? But of course, uh, uh, for a few years, uh, they had a little bit, it was a little bit more problematic, no? How big was the estate in the 80s? How many hectares of vineyards? In the 80s, uh, the, 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 um, uh, we were a little bit uh, smaller in, in hectare. And uh, at that time, we uh, bought uh, some grape uh, of Dolcetto and Barbera. Uh, we never bought grape from uh, Nebbiolo, but we bought at that time a uh, few kilo, some kilo of Barbera and Dolcetto. How many vineyards do you think the state was composed of? At the time, uh, Canubi, Monvillero, also if today Monvillero, the property is bigger, Breri, Neirane. So today, speaking about Barolo, we have Rocchiolmo more, we have Boscato more, and uh, the property in Monvillero is bigger. So it's, you have more vineyards now than then? Yeah, we have more vineyards now. And yeah. some of those are pretty key vineyards. Yeah, of course, uh, especially we, uh, today the, the, the property of here is bigger and uh, we are happy uh, to have both uh, Vinia and Rocom and Boscato because uh, I think this, it will be the place for the, for the weather of today, no? Oh, I see. So as climate change starts to happen, you think those vineyards are going to become more and yeah. more important? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Uh, we are seeing that. We'll see. We don't know how the weather will be. For example, in the recent two vintages, uh, the weather was not so warm. In 2013, 2014, uh, we had a really cold summer. Fortunately, a good fall, but not so warm. No, uh, so uh, 2013, 2014, we can say that they are really two classic vintage for Nebbiolo. So you started to work with the winery in 1994. See. And you were also in school at that time. Yeah, I finished my technical school in Alba in 94. 
and from 94 till 99, I studied in the University of Viticulture and Enology, and I already helped my parents in the cellar. I, in 94, I start to, you know, I start to experiment. I start to w- work with some specific wine. Did you feel that you changed the situation or altered things? Well, you know, fortunately, I have the same taste in wine of my parents. So when we, also if I was young, and also my parents, they are young because they are 63 now. So uh, we, there is not a big step in generation. There is a step, of course, because son and parents, but, uh, but anyway, 20 years is not a lot. And fortunately, uh, we we have the same taste in wine, and uh, so I didn't feel the necessity to change everything. No, I start to improve. I start to to do something better for preserving the, the style of the cellar. What do you think that those improvements turned out to be? I hope to to uh, to have made something something better. It's difficult to say we, which was the factor, but anyway, more attention, more attention, and uh, anyway, one people work, one people more work in the cellar is one people more in a family business. It's important, so we had more time to dedicate to the wine, to the vineyard, and this is one factor, and. Um, Sincerely, I can tell you which was the which were the things. But uh, anyway, I, I, I try to improve the style of the cellar to to do something better. Hmm? And your parents still work with the winery today? Yeah, they are still working too much, <laughs> too much. Uh, and uh, yeah, my father when I start to help. Um, well, my parents in the my my father always preferred to work in the vineyard than in the cellar, honestly. And so when he started to help uh, help them, he he told me immediately, Fabio, here, these are the key of the cellar. <laughs> I'm here, but uh, please, I go in the country, and uh, if you want, you can uh, you can spend more time in the cellar, and I spend more time in the vineyard, and so. And so I did. Uh, today, uh, honestly, and it was a good thing also for me because in the beginning I was more attracted by the cellar than in the vineyard. Today I'm changing a little bit. I'm going more and more in the vineyard. I don't know. It seems that uh, uh, everybody, you know, uh, when uh, all the winemakers, when they are young, they prefer the cellar, and slowly, slowly they go in the vineyard. No, it's uh, the life probably. And did you have siblings? I have um, I have a sister that fortunately um, she's architect, but uh, she's starting to appreciate more and more the work of the family. And uh, from January, she's helping us in the office. And what are the grapes that you grow? Considering the, the red variety, we always uh, were very focused in our red variety, typical red variety. So we never planted uh, Cabernet, Merlot, or Shiraz. We never experiment with, with, this, with this kind of grape. 
And we, uh, we cultivate the, the free classic grape, Piemontese grape, uh, uh, Nebbiolo, Barbera and Dolcetto. We have a small vineyard with Fraser. And uh, we are a little bit more lucky in Verduna because we have also the Palaverga. Palaverga. Yeah. The native grape variety of Verduna. See, it was, it was strange, but Pelaverga was cultivated only in Verduno, in, historically. Now, from the 95, we have the appellation, the DOC, Verduno Pelaverga, who limit the area of production to the village of Verduno, plus a small part of the village of La Mora and a small part of the village of Rodi border to Verduno. The production is still very small today because only, if I remember well, only 15 hectares of Pelaverga we have. In total, eh, all the producers together, and um, around 130,000 bottles a year. What is Pelaverga like to grow? Pelaverga uh, loves the best place. Pelaverga, we, we can say that we plant Pelaverga where we have Nebbiolo. Pelaverga, it's a grape that loves the, the best exposition, loves uh, east, uh, south, and west, like, and loves the same soil of Nebbiolo. It's not so difficult to cultivate. Uh, it's, uh, it's a grape uh, quite generous also in the production. We have to pay attention, uh, especially during the, the last moment of the maturity because uh, it's quite sensitive to the botrytis. So in the, in the last moment of the maturity, we have to pay more attention. And... Uh, it's, uh, it's also a grape that is not so easy to vinify because Pelaverga is very, very sensitive variety, no? It's, it's a variety that it feels very, it feels a lot the hands of the winemaker because it's so delicate, so gentle, that uh, we have to be very gentle with, uh, with this kind of grape. And what about Fraser? What's that like to grow? Yeah, yeah. Fraser, it's, uh, you know, Fraser is very, is uh, related to Nebbiolo, no? Uh, the University of Turin think that uh, Fraser is the precursor of Nebbiolo. Fraser is the parent of the Nebbiolo. A large part of DNA in Fraser and Nebbiolo is the same. Fraser is another variety who love the best place. And this probably is the reason because the production of Fraser is getting lower, is getting down, is suffering Nebbiolo Fraser. Because, of course, Nebbiolo is more well-known. It's more easy to sell. Fraser is a variety, a little bit more rustic. So it, it needs a lot of attention. It, it needs the best place. For example, our yield in Fraser is lower than Nebbiolo because the tiny of Fraser doesn't arrive very well as the tiny of the Nebbiolo. Fraser is a variety, very rich in tiny, and more rustic tiny, if you want. So you have to pay attention to the quality of the phenolic ripening, no? And so a lot of effort, and, uh, and uh, not so good market, no? And uh, this is the reason because the I think the Fraser is uh, the production of Fraser is decreasing a little bit. Yeah. And what's a grape like Barbera like to grow in a region like Verduno? Yeah, in a, in a, you know we in Verduno, in, uh, Verduno the, the surface of Verduno is not completely in the air of Barolo. 
So this is could be not so positive, but in the other hand, it's positive for the other variety, you know, because uh, where you can play Nebbiolo for Barolo, it's easy that the producer leave the best place to produce uh, Barolo, no? Reserve, it's normal that we make a reserve the best place to produce uh, Barolo. As in Verduno, we have a part of the soil not included in the Barolo area. In that part, also with good exposition huh? and good soil, we can plant variety as Pelaverga, as, as Barbera. We, for example, have Barbera in position like Neirane or like Castagna, and, and we have also vineyard in Cadilla. Uh, Cadilla is a vineyard in Rodo village. It's, Cadilla is uh, the first hill of, uh, the first vineyard of Rodi, and Cadilla is bordered to Monvier. Monvier is, is the latest vineyard in Verduno, and after start the village of Rodi, and Cadilla is the first, uh, the first vineyard. And so we have, we have Barbera in Cadilla uh, and in Verduno, uh, village in uh, Castagna and Nerane area. And does it respond differently in those? They respond differ differently. Cooler, yeah. cooler zone. Uh, so um, Verduno is cooler than than Rodi. Um, also because uh, uh, Cadilla uh, Cadilla Vineyard is completely completely south, uh, and the altitude is lower. Is around 250, 280 meters. But it's not too bad because uh, Barbera love more than a viola the warmer vintage. Oh, uh, the backbone of the Barbera is the acidity. No? And uh, of course, uh, when the vintage is too fresh, too cold, sometimes the acidity of Barbera is not balanced in wine. So I think that Barbera prefer the, the warmer vintage than the cooler vintage. No? For example, 2014, 2014, it's, uh, we are tasting now the wine, we are evaluate, evaluating now the wine, but uh, slowly, slowly, we are appreciating a lot the Nebbiolo. Barbera, for Barbera, it's a little bit more difficult, and probably in 2014, we don't make our selection of Barbera Aves, because we prefer to, to utilize also the best quality grape for the classic Barbera to improve, to maintain our standard level of the classic Barbera. So generally you make two Barberas? We make two Barbera, yeah. The classic Barbera and the Alice. But in 14 you may not? Probably no. We see, but uh, today the first tasting, the first analysis, uh, um, no, we think that probably the, the, the basic Barbera need the grape, need the best grape that we usually utilize for Alice because... We want, to, it's important for us to produce a good classic Barbera. And uh, when it's possible to produce a selection, we do. But when it is not possible, it's better to bring some decision. And Dolcetto, what's that like to grow in the Verduno zone? Yeah, in Verduno zone, we, we have Dolcetto in uh, two vineyards, in one part in Iran. And in the and we say Imperno, with uh, the bottom of the Neirane, no, uh, in the end of Neirane, 
and Castagna also, no? Later in uh, down Castagna, uh, going down to Castagna. So not the Monforte Pernal, but uh, Verduno. No, no, Verduno Perno. Verduno Perno, yeah. No, we have two vineyards in Verduno and one vineyard in Calia, in Rotti. Does it react differently there than it might in other zones? I think that the difference between Rodi and Verduno is the same than Barbera, also because uh, it's not so not so easy anymore to find a vineyard with Dolcetto in south exposition. So, but you know, Dolcetto sometimes the, the south exposition for Dolcetto is too much. No, uh, sometimes Dolcetto uh, for our for our idea of Dolcetto. Oh, for our idea of Dolcetto, because we love the Dolcetto maintain the fragrance of Dolcetto maintain the drinkability. Not not too much better, not too much easy. Oh, uh, we love the Dolcetto with personality, with character. But that maintain a kind of fragrance, a kind of drinkability. You know? They wind up to be pleasant to drink. So also some exposition more west or more east, more fresher in the bottom of the valley, in the bottom of the hill. Could be good for Dolcetto. Yeah. So you make one bottling of Dolcetto, one bottling of Freja, yeah, one bottling of Pelaverga. Exactly. Two Barbera. Yeah. And then how many Nebbiolo do you make? We produce the Lange Nebbiolo with the young vine, with the younger vineyard, or with a part of the vineyard that in, that in a specific vintage we believe doesn't have the potential to produce a good Barolo. So prefer to produce a good Langenebiol. And after, we produce four different kinds of Barolo. Monvillier and Canubi single vineyard, and two Barolo where we still work with the old philosophy of the blend. So the Barolo classic and the Barolo Aclivi. Aclivi, we can say, is the old concept of the Barolo uh, Reserva. So it's a selection of the best part of our vineyard and the best, the best blend that we can do for the vintage. So a Clivy is kind of a, a Barolo Reserva for you. You know, we don't call a Clivy Reserva. Uh, it's we say that it's made with the old concept of the Reserva, but till today we don't label as Reserva. We'll see in the future. We don't love to match the name Reserva, the name Superiore, because of uh, you know it seems like a, an old concept of the Italy no uh, that uh, just because the wine is old is better no and I I don't think so uh, the wine is better because uh, the vineyard is good because of the selection of the grape uh, because the grower pay more attention uh, but not just because it's old just because uh, we wait longer time in the cellar no? and. For the rules, Reserva mean more time in the cellar. So we would like to call a Clevy Reserva, and we can wait one year more. This is not a problem. But in the other hand, it's, uh, it's, uh, it, for me, it means like an old concept of Italian wine. And, uh, you know, we'll see. Perhaps in the future we will change idea. And for the Nebbiolo, it's mostly Lampia, or you make Michele? <laughs> Oh, in Verduno, uh, you know, Lampia, Miche, Rosé, Bolla. Uh, this, we can say, is uh, quite an old concept concerning Nebbiolo because recently the University of Turin demonstrated that uh, Bolla and Lampia have the same DNA. So Bolla doesn't exist. 
uh, Mickey is a Lampia with a virus. So it's a Lampia, a little bit sick, who produce less, who produce less vegetation also, no? because it's a little bit more tired, no? it's a little bit sick. So Mickey is Lampia, genetically. And Rosé, we can say, is not an Ebiolo. It's another variety. Honestly, in Verduno, also in the past, there was not a lot of rosé. There was not a rosé. I think this is normal. It's uh, because rosé is um, it's a kind of nebbiolo. It's a kind of variety who give the wine more elegance, more finesse, more perfume. And in uh, in Verduno, we can say that the soil already give us elegance, perfume, and balance. So we can say we don't need rosé. Uh, so in our vineyard we have mostly Lampia and a part of Mickey. And what's it like to grow those two things in the same vineyard? What do you notice? We grow quite in the same way, uh, Mickey and Lampia. Mickey, especially in a very, very old clone, is very, very inconstant in the production. So usually the pruning is a little bit longer. Oh. It is the... The old way to prune in Nebbiolo is a very, very long branch, no? Because of, uh, especially in the past, the, uh, the Nebbiolo grape didn't produce in the first uh, one, two, three bud break, uh, bud, no? So the, the first three buds on the, on the on, branch often didn't produce grapes. Exactly, exactly. Especially in the clone of the past. Especially in the Mickey. So the people in the past pruned Nebbiolo with a longer branch. Today with the clones, the recent clone, uh, Nebbiolo produced also in the, some clones, not every clones, but some clones produce also in the, in the first, uh, in the first bud. Yeah. It's the difference of how you handle them in the vineyards in terms of the pruning. See, see, see. We are changing also a little bit. Uh, the, the, not changing, but we are experimenting also in the vineyard some different way of Cuyo, no? Because the vineyard, hopefully Nebbiolo, not a lot. Nebbiolo is a variety quite uh, resistant, but um, in the in, uh, in some other variety like Pelaverga, like Sauvignon, like Barbera, uh, we have more and more disease uh, concerning the the wood. You no, know, like Esca. I don't know mm-hmm. how do you translate in English Esca or or also Flavescenza Dorata. You know. And especially for the Esca. Probably, if we make some modification to the way of pruning, we can reduce the risk and we can um, increase the the life, the age of the plants. So we are experimenting some new guillot pruning to have uh, to increase the longevity of, of our plants. Because sometimes people say Esca is carried on pruning shears in, in cuts. So it might go from vine to vine through the action of pruning. Yeah, this is a, this is a problem, yeah. And also, probably the big problem is to, is to make big cats. More the cat is big, more the, the, the way for the infection is big, and more the plants... Uh, make efforts to close no the the cats no and 
So uh, we are starting some pruning to, in order to limit the big cats and to do every year only small cutting. And you mentioned Sauvignon because you make some Sauvignon. Yeah, exactly. Well. We didn't speak about Sauvignon Blanc. My my parents were the first uh, were the first uh, who planted Sauvignon Blanc in Barolo area. Yeah, they planted the first vineyard of Sauvignon Blanc in '86, and they planted Sauvignon Blanc because uh, at that time they they felt the, the the pleasure. They felt the yeah the pleasure to experiment, to work with a uh, uh, wine variety. And, uh, you know, in the region, we don't have a lot of tradition uh, of white wine. We don't have a lot of white grape because uh, the Arnaise is more, is more traditional, uh, is more typical in the Roero area. In Langa, we had some vinilla with Favorita. But the idea of my parents was to produce a white wine with a longer life, with a little bit more complexity than Favorita. Favorita. With Favorita, you can produce some really good wine, fresh, fruity, easy drinking. But the, uh, the idea of my parents was to produce a wine with a little bit more complexity. And so they, they loved Sauvignon Blanc. They had the, the, the right piece of land uh, for Sauvignon Blanc. And so they planted. And we are happy with Sauvignon Blanc. And in the, uh, in the soil where we plant Sauvignon Blanc, we have also some, some chalkiness because in Verduno, the soil of Verduno is quite complicated. No? We have two different types of soil in Verduno. We say the soil, Tortonian soil, that is typical for the Barolo, and the Messinian soil. In the, in the part of Verduno where we have more, uh, in the part of Verduno, the, the Messinian part of Verduno, we have a little bit of chalk in the soil. And this is good for Sauvignon Blanc. This is good also for Pera Verga. And so, today we produce two different kinds of Sauvignon, also Viridis and Dives. And the difference there is how you age it in wood, right? Yeah, the difference is uh, Dives, it, it comes from the, the older, older part of the vineyard, the first the, the, the vineyard that my parents uh, planted in '86, and Divis is fermented and aged in barrel of acacia, while Viridis uh, it comes from the younger part of the vineyard and is made only in steel tanks. Because in Viridis we try to keep the freshness, the crispiness of the Sauvignon Blanc, while in Divis we try to exalt the, the complexity and we can say the minerality of the Sauvignon Blanc. What's it like to work with acacia? You know, we love acacia for Sauvignon Blanc because uh, it's a way to exalt a profile of Sauvignon Blanc. And we think that uh, the, the match between oak and Sauvignon Blanc is not so easy. Uh, so the acacia is a, is a kind of wood, a little bit more neutral. Who preserve better the freshness of Sauvignon Blanc because uh, it's uh, um, the oxygen. The acacia is more close to the oxygen. No? It's more uh, is a is a kind of wood more reductive. No, we can say and less invasive, less aromatic, and so it, it permits us to to have a certain kind of evolution, uh, also a certain kind of texture in the mount without having the, the classic oaky aroma. No? 
for the red, you ferment everything in wood. We ferment all our red in open vat tanks of oak. Yeah, in general, we for the aging we utilize only big, we utilize big cask of oak just for the selection of Barbera Aves and for the blend of Nebbiolo and Barbera we uh, work with smaller cask, uh, Demi Mui, five hundred liter big. For all all the other wine that we produce, uh, we just utilize big cask of oak, the classic body. So fermenting in open wood, open top wood, and then aging in large wood. Yeah, yeah, this is yeah. And you make a blend of Nebbiolo and Barbera? We make a blend of Nebbiolo and Barbera. The name is Morris. Uh, it's the classic Piemontese blend. Um, Barbera and Nebbiolo, they are two varieties. We can say quite complementary, you know, because uh, uh, Nebbiolo is a variety, plenty of character, very complex in the nose and more rich in tanning. You know? The backbone of Nebbiolo is the, the, the tanning, you no? Know? While Barbera is a variety with a color more intensive, more purple, more violet, more rich in color, more rich in acidity, more rich in fruit, black fruit, while Nebbiolo is more red fruit and spicy and complexity in aroma. So there are two varieties that they match very well together. We do a blend, we do the blend before the fermentation. So it, it's a co-fermentation because in this way we, we feel that the unit is stronger, yeah. What about open top wood for fermenting? What is the advantage of that? So the um, it's a way that it permits us to to be very 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 to, it permits us to be very close with, with the skin because we can see we can touch, and also it permits us to be very soft and very gentle in the vinification because uh, we do everything we can say. By hands, no. Also, the punching down. We go personally in the top of the, in the top of the vat, and we do. We try to do very soft pressure, no. It's not a, a. We don't. We want to avoid the mechanic extraction, no. So, the open vat uh, it helps us to to be more soft with the skin, and also, we can say that we have a more oxygenation during the fermentation. The open vat permit to the dioxide carbonate to go away and usually uh, we have less problem of reduction no? during the aging and also the oak uh, it permits us uh, to to have more um, constancy in the temperature no um, the, the, the changement of of the temperature in the oak they, they are more slowly no when do you start drinking the different red wines that you make? Today, I'm a drinker of quite young wine. Speaking about Barolo, I don't know, probably it's... Uh, I will change idea in the future, I don't know, but when I go out for a dinner with friends, usually I choose Barolo around 10 years old. It could be 7, 8, it could be 15, 16, depending on the, vin depending on the vintage, depending on the area of production, depending on the vineyard, depending on the producer. But I think today, for my palate, uh, when the Barolo is around 10 years old, we still have the fruit, we still have the, the personality of the grape, the personality of the soil. So we we can say, okay, this is a Barolo from uh, Bertuno, this could be a Barolo from Amora, it's uh, probably could be a Barolo from Monforte or Ginestra, no? 
and uh, we have already the complexity of the aging in the bottle. So for me, around 10 years is the moment where we have the, when the barrel is more complete. It's also true that the best emotion that I had, I had emotion with Barolo, old Barolo, no? because uh, Barolo is a great wine uh, when, when he's well-aged. No? Uh, so to have emotion, older bottle, to drink Barolo with food, and to have a wine we can say more complete, uh, I prefer around 10, 10 years old. Today, uh, we'll see in the future. As you've mentioned, sometimes the tannic structure of Verduno Nebbiolo is not the same as the tannic structure in other areas of Barolo. It seems mm -hmm. more fine grain, more finesse, more yeah. elegance. Yeah. Do you find Verduno Barolo complementing a different kind of food sometimes than would be the case for? They are more versatile for sure. They are more versatile. They could be open also in earlier moment. So uh, in this day we are testing the 2011. It's a vintage, very specific, no. Uh, but the 2011, they are drinkable. And the, 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 the wine made in Verduno, they are a little bit more versatile because, you know, we don't, the, the Barolo from Verduno don't need the, the brasato. If you have the brasato, <laughs> it's perfect. But uh, with a Barolo from Verduno, you can just op open the fridge and bring a piece of cheese, a piece of parmigiano. It's perfect. Oh. We have this gentle tanning, this, this circle tanning, more freshness, lighter, like a structure also, no? that it, it permits to the wine to be more versatile, more easy in the matching. And what about Pella Verga? It's somewhat of a unique grape. What should I be thinking about if I were eating that with food? Usually Pella Verga is uh, our wine for the, we can say, the picnic. No? <laughs> it's a wine for the appetizer. It's a wine that we love with sausages. We love with carne cruda for road meat, no? tartare de boeuf. We love with the entree, all the classic Piemontese entree, canne cruda, vitello tonato, all the vegetable. All, I, I think Pelaveg, it's a, it's a quite modern wine, no? because uh, in the same time, it's uh, is, uh, not too complicated, not too heavy, but plenty of personality. No? So uh, for me, Pelaveg is the, the perfect wine for a perfect glass of wine for lunch, no? When we want to have something not too heavy, a pasta with vegetable uh, or uh, an entree, a vitello tonnato, or uh, a caprese, pomodoro e mozzarella, or, uh, you know, this kind of dishes, no? not too white meat, fish, also with fish is good, Pelaverga. With tuna, it's, uh, I think, it's a good wine also for the Japanese food, no? For sushi, sashimi. And what about the vintages since the mid-90s when you arrived at the winery? What would you say about the vintages from, say, 94 till now? What have been standouts? What have been difficult? What have... Difficult. So, 94, my first vintage, I remember very well. It was not so easy because uh, I remember like today, we, for, we were in the vineyard. I was in the vineyard with my parents, all free. At the time, we walked in the vineyard, and the grave looked, they were perfect. They, 
they were ripe and so we we said uh, it's time to to harvest tomorrow we harvest at that time the, the forecast in italy they were not so good so um we it was a little bit difficult to manage the the, the harvest no anyway in 94 the grapes were perfect and after it trained so 94 was probably the uh, the vintage more difficult because after we had 95 96 97 98 99 2000 2001 2002 uh, we didn't produce barrel at all uh, 2002 was not so easy very fresh very cold the wine didn't have the I speak about my wine. Eh? There is in the comments some 2002 extremely good, but anyway, in general, in general, the Barolo didn't have the the the, the materia, eh? the the backbone eh? to the, the potential to to be a good Barolo. So we we didn't produce at all Barolo in 2002. 2003 was. Uh, uh, extremely different, uh, extreme in the other way, very hot and very dry. The dryness was the problem of 2003 because uh, during uh, the, the, the maturity, um, during the summer, the, the, the plants stopped to ripe because of too much dryness. No, 2004 good, 2005 uh, also good, uh, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. And 14 also, 14 was really challenging, uh, was, uh, was a difficult year, uh, really, really difficult year. But in the end, Nebbiolo, in, in the end, September, October, in September, October, we had um, good weather, not too warm. We can compare a little bit, 11 and 13, not for different reasons, because uh, both vintage start, the bad, in both vintage, the bad breaks start very early. So the spring was quite warm in both vintage. In both vintage, the real summer was really bad. Also in 2011, really bad. Not really bad, but anyway, in 2011, the summer was fresh. June, July, uh, we can say we didn't have uh, we didn't have summer. But in 2011, we had the Indian summer in the late August, September, October. We had a really we had a postponed summer. So. Uh, quite warm uh, uh, fall. Huh? While in 2014, uh, we had a good fall, good September, good October, but not warm. No? So only the, the, we can say that uh, the, the, um, we can really see, comparing that 2011 to 2013, what the weather in September, October can change the style of the wine. No? Because 2014, very the wine are um, really fresh, the acidity is high, really fresh fruit in the wine, tang with a lot of tension, a little bit more aggressive. Wine that probably need time, it doesn't have a lot of volume, but uh, a lot of uh, tension, no? good, good structure. Well, in 2011, the wine are more soft, more approachable, more open, more fruity, and uh, with more density too. But in 2011, we have also good uh, good fruit because of uh, probably because of June and July uh, were fresher. No, so 
we have this double phase in 2011. A lot of fruit, fresh also, but uh, uh, the wine are quite uh, quite open, no? quite approachable. Tanya are very integrated in the fruit, very smooth, open. Do you find a difference in what's a good Palaverga vintage and what's a good Nebbiolo vintage? Are those two different vintages? Or? For Pelaverga, uh, we can say that the trend is quite the same. But uh, for Pelaverga, it's a little bit more easy because uh, Pelaverga, we drink Pelaverga quite young, so it's not so important how the wine it ages. No. It's very important the balance of the wine, the quality of the wine. So for Barol, it's a little bit more complicated because sometimes we love the, the vintage in the first years and after after the wine uh, uh, doesn't show very well with with aging, no. While for Pelaverga, if it's good in the first year, it's enough. No? So I think this is the, the most important difference. No? But uh, usually Pelaverga and Abiora are quite related, quite related, yeah. And what have been your favorite vintages for Barolo so far, the ones that you've worked? For me? Yeah. To drink now. I love the 2001. Me too. Berlotto 2001s are awesome. I love, yeah. I love 2001. I love 99 Montvillero. Mm. To drink now, also the 2004. They are quite open. They are quite drinkable. Yeah, these are free vintage, for example, that I love to drink now. And considering the older vintage, we opened some good uh, good bottle of Montvier 89, 85. I love this kind of vintage. Yeah. What about 2010? You expect good things? See, we'll see. Uh, everybody is happy about 2010. We can say it's a good vintage. Time will be, no, time will say yes, no, something. But anyway, we have a good expectation. We have a good expectation. And how have you seen the market change for the wines of Verduno? Or has it not changed? It changed. It's changing. (laughs) Uh, We can say that 10, 20 years ago, the the people, the consumer, expected from uh, the Barolo. But for the wine in general, we can say wine very rich, very concentrated, sometimes too much oaky. Today, the people, I feel that the people is, un, is understanding more and more the elegance in the wine. And the people is understanding more and more the difference about the Barolo, about the different village. No? And I think this is an important step, no? Because today, uh, also if the tradition of Barolo is uh, the tradition of the blend, but I think it's important to speak about uh, village Barolo, no? The difference between the, the different villages, because uh, we have the difference, no? And uh, today the people, uh, the, the Barolo lovers, now they are speaking about the difference between the soil. Mm. While twenty years ago Barolo was Barolo and stop. It doesn't matter if it, it was made in Serralunga or in Monforte or in Verduno. No? They expected always the bump, no? So. I think that popularity of uh, the, the wine of Fortuna is growing because of uh, this changement in the style of the 
of the of what the people want, what the people expect from the Barolo. And you recently expanded the cellar facility. Yeah, we made a, we renovate a part of the old older cellar and we build another cellar underground just for the age in the bottle because um, we believe that the age in the bottle is very, very important. I'm not a big friend of steel tanks, especially for Nebbiolo. And uh, I think that when the the, the, the Perolo spend enough time in wood, it's time to go in bottle, stop. So, in, especially in some vintages, we are reducing a little bit the time in oak, and we go a little bit earlier in bottle, especially in the vintage a little bit more warmer, no? We were in the vintage where the tannin are more softer, and uh, uh, they don't need an extra time in oak. So you're preserving freshness by bottling earlier. We try, we try, we try, yeah. But ultimately, you're releasing at the same age. So yeah, we keep... release at the same age. Right? We just spend more more time in bottle. Yeah. And what other projects do you see in the next few years for GB Berlotto? What do you have planned? So we we are replanting really nice vineyard that we we were lucky to buy in Boscato, in the top of the hill of Boscato, top of the vineyard, really the top. We bought uh, one hectare point seven. It was a long time that we were seeing this piece of land. And up, unfortunately, in the end, we we had the chance to buy this piece of land. So I think this uh, this is this is the the project, no? In the cellar, as you said, uh, we we have made some renovation. So I think that will be more and more focused in the vineyard. This is uh, an extra step that we want to do. So what might that imply in the future? More work with the GIO? See, I know we, uh, you know, we, we try to, to, I don't want to say to go in the bio direction because, uh, but to, to work more in the vineyard, to be more present in the vineyard, to understand more and more the vineyard, what the vineyard need. I think this is important. No? To reduce the chemical intervention and to be more close to our plants. I think this is the, the most important way to uh, exalt the characteristic of our soil. What's the average age of vines in general? I mean, what do you what do you have? Different plots, or some younger, some older? Yeah, uh, of course. Uh, the older vineyard that we that we have is six years old. The younger it will be the the vineyard that we are planting in the spring. But usually, the average is quite quite old today. It's a good moment for us because. Um, Considering Baroque, considering Nebbiolo, we have to plant this vineyard in Boscato. But uh, uh, the old, the other other vineyard, they are they are minimum fifteen years old, fifteen twenty years old, and maximum sixty years old. So I think the vineyard in the production, they are in a good moment. No, obviously you make Barolo in Verduno, and you make Barolo in. Barolo, the commune, but if you could make Barolo somewhere else, where would be your choice if you could? Um... 
Yeah, so I think it will remain a dream because <laughs> today the vineyards are, are so expensive <laughs> in the Barolo era and uh, it's not so easy to buy because uh, uh, if you are not a neighbor, it's more difficult to buy. Anyway, we are located in Verduno. We have a lot of vineyards in Verduno and we believe a lot in Verduno. We have the chance to have a vineyard in Canubi, who is in the middle of uh, the Barolara. So, the dreams, uh, or uh, yeah, it, it, it is to have a vineyard in completely in the other side. And if I can choose, I will. I can say Rock in Castillon Falletto because uh, it's in the other side of Barolo, so it's a. Uh, it's in a part of the soil where we have a little bit more structure, but it's a vineyard who really maintain the grace, the, the elegance that I love in the wine. So, rock, but uh, it will be only a dream, I think. <laughs> Fabio Alessandria of GB Berlotto, he's making consistent improvements and still dreaming as well. Thank you very much for being here today. Thank you to you, Levi, to invite me, and thank you for the, the, all the people that will uh, listen to the, the records. Fabio Alessandria of GB Berlotto. All Drink to That is hosted and produced by myself, Levi Dalton. Aaron Scala has contributed original pieces. Editorial assistance has been provided by Bill Kimsey. The show music was performed and composed by Rob Moose and Thomas Bartlett. Show artwork by Alicia Tanoyan. T-shirts, sweatshirts, coffee mugs, and so much more, including show stickers, notebooks, and even gift wrap are available for sale if you check the show website, alldrinktothatpod.com. That's I-L-L, drinktothatpod.com, which is the same place you'd go to sign up for our email list or to make one of the crucially important donations that help keep this show operating. You can donate from anywhere using PayPal or Stripe on the show website. Remember to hit subscribe or to follow this show in your favorite podcast app, please. That's super important to see every episode. And thank you for listening.